Hello, cold open. Hello, hello. We're so excited because this week is our one year anniversary. Thank you guys for making an exciting, yeah, wild year. On September 1st, 2022, the world was changed forever <laughs> when Burned and Probe launched its first five episodes. It's just been such a crazy year. We're sitting here, 31,000 downloads in a year. That's crazy. Over like almost, I think, 1,500 followers over social media apps. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's so exciting. Yeah. And we just started advertising on the podcast over the last, you know, month or so. And it's just, we've just had such a great year. We couldn't do it without you. We couldn't. And we couldn't do it without all of your support. So if you've been listening for a long time, thank you so much. And if you're new, welcome to yes. craziness. And if you like us but haven't followed, find us on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. We're going to be expanding to YouTube shorts, I believe. I think so. And if you like us and haven't reviewed us or rated us already, whatever, you know, whatever you listen on, Spotify, Apple, please do so. That's the best way to help any sort of independent podcasters to leave us reviews. Nice ones, please. When I say we take criticism, I mean, give me a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. We will take constructive criticism. I'm just kidding. I read that on an Instagram post and it was funny. That is funny. Yeah. You know, you can always request cases. We love doing that. Yes. Yes. So fun. Talk to us. We want to hear from you. We love you guys. Thank you for a great year. Yes. 2023 is going to be even better. Well, Yay. it'll be 2024 mostly. Into 2024. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, end of 2023, most of 2024 is going to be great. <laughs> and you're welcome for the most awkward cold open ever. <laughs> ever. We're really good at those. All right, Into on the to the case. Woo! Good afternoon. Hello, hello. My name is Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. Welcome back. Welcome back. Sorry, I'm getting myself comfortable. <laughs> I know we better settle in because this is gonna be this is gonna be a uh, either a really long one or a two parter. Yeah, yeah. So get Exciting. your snacks, get comfortable. All right, all right. I Salute. have water. I have water as well. We just came back from lunch. I hope you came back from lunch or going to lunch. I hope food is in your future <laughs> or directly in your past. <laughs> yes, we love food. Oh yes, motivated by food. So, all right. What you got for us? Today, we're going to be doing a listener-requested case, which I'm super excited about. Mm-hmm. I loved covering this case. So thank you very much, Heather, to the re- for the request and all of your very kind words. Aw, thank you. Yeah, made our day. So we're going to be talking about um, the very popular case of Celeste Beard and her role in the murder of her husband, Stephen. So I did want to be upfront about one thing in this case. Well, two things, I guess, technically. Number one, the true crime, like, small blogs and boards and stuff about this case can sometimes have an underlying tone, a little whisper, or blatant, obvious homophobia. 
Oh, that will not be here. If you're looking for that, you're not in the right place. Yeah. I don't think that anything was committed because somebody was gay. I don't think that that's how. No. And we're not going to say that. Wait, so. because they were gay? Yeah, we're not. We'll, we'll talk about it later. Just okay. tune in. But I just want to be obvious here up front. Yeah. No, none of that. I don't even want to hear that. It's so stupid that anybody would think that. Nobody commits crimes because they're a lesbian. <laughs> like, doesn't make you a criminal <laughs> to be a lesbian. No. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Sorry, so many. I know. <laughs> we try not to be a very political show here, but with all the things going on. We suck at that. We are. So many, so many jokes in my head. Yeah. Well. <laughs> anyway, yes. Click elsewhere. Uh, yes. If that's what you're yeah. looking for. Listen to the ads and then click elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, it's also a very intertwined and sometimes a pretty complex case. So if you have any questions, please let me know. I will clarify them. Okay. You have questions while you're listening to me, Alicia. Tell me so I can clarify for the class. I'll do my best. All right. Let's jump right in. Six minutes later. No, I'm just hey, kidding. It's only been. <laughs> it's been four. Oh, my gosh. It has been four minutes. So Celeste Beard, who was originally not Celeste Beard, had a very interesting childhood. And we see the beginning of her deception and lies start very young. She was born in 1963 and was adopted by Nancy and Edwin Johnson, a quite religious and very stiff family. Her parents were a late-in-life couple, and into their 50s, they could not have natural children. They ended up adopting four children total, and Celeste was the second child in that group. Wow. Okay. They were a picture-perfect 1960s family. I don't buy it. Just kidding. <laughs> Edwin's father had some struggles growing up after Edwin's brother drowned accidentally, and his father ended up killing himself, and Edwin never really got over that. In addition to that, Nancy, while we don't know a, a whole lot about her childhood or her specific mental health, we do know that she spent some time in a psychiatric hospital when the kids were young and that one of them recalls Nancy holding their heads underwater before she was hospitalized. No. She blames her exhaustion and diet pills for her breakdown, but we won't really ever know. Hmm. Well, and she was in her fifties, mm -hmm. so menopausal. Like, listen, it does. I'm in the beginning, beginning, beginning stages, and it makes you crazy. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> so it definitely mm -hmm. is not to excuse that behavior, but mm -hmm. yeah, understand it a little bit. Yeah. Well, the family was also struggling financially because Edwin's used car business was failing. I think it actually wasn't like a typical used car business. I'm pretty sure it was a Volkswagen repair shop, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. It wasn't doing well. And when his business finally went completely under, instead of going to get a job, he went back to college. All the while, they were paying for private Christian school for their four kids. What? Obviously, the kids were eventually moved to public school because when you don't have a job, that doesn't really go well. Yeah. Nancy started working two jobs, and everything just kind of continued to go downhill from there. Nancy eventually kicked out her husband, which might have something to do with the fact that he started calling himself Jedediah and was spouting incorrect biblical scripture. 
His mental health seemed to latch on to fundamentalism, which we have seen happen before. Uh, yeah. They had a really gnarly custody battle where Celeste was testified against her father, claiming that he was physically abusive, which there wasn't much proof of. The kids were split, girls with mom and boys with dad. Mm, not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, well. <laughs> this is kind of the catalyst for Celeste's behavior problems to pick up, especially at school. She would misbehave for attention, uh, became violent in the home, and fighting so much that police were called several times, specifically just for Celeste. Mm. And as she grew up, she began to to act down in a more provocative way. She still looked conservative on the outside. Thank you, Mom. But she wasn't behaving that way. And soon enough, Celeste was pregnant at 17 years old, and she marries the father, a man named Craig. And boy, were they surprised to find out that they were having twins. Oh, no. Jennifer and Christina were born. Sorry, I say, I say, oh, no. Twins aren't bad. I have twins. They're lovely. <laughs> I love them. But um, not a pregnancy that I would wish upon anybody for their first pregnancy mm -hmm. ever. Well, and she was years. so young. and Yeah. While she was pregnant, she began to lie about her health more. She said that she wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant and that the babies were a miracle, but that Craig didn't want them and that he would punch her in the stomach to try and make her miscarry, none of which had any substantiating truth to it at all. I was going to say, why would he marry you then? Yeah. I mean, this wasn't so long ago that... Yeah. Yeah, that's... Okay. Mm -hmm. um, he, she also claimed that he had abused her their entire relationship. And don't get me wrong, they did have some horrible fights yeah but it wasn't you know it's not the way that she was making it sound for sure they were living with friends and like crashing on couches for a while with their two premature babies um what? fighting and screaming at each other all the time she would leave and abandon her kids and then come back and blame her reactions to their fights on her childhood sexual abuse Oh, did you miss that part about her being sexually abused growing up? Because she's making it up. It didn't happen. All of a sudden, she starts claiming that her behavior issues came down to that. She had started saying that her father had raped her and that she had been molested by her brothers. But neither of these accusations had any merit. She just learned that if she said it, people would listen. They divorced before the twins were a year old. She wasn't super capable of taking care of the twins or herself, nor did she really want to. She just kind of wanted to do whatever she wanted to do. Yeah. And that's a big theme in Celeste's life. If anything hinders her from doing what she wants, she's going to get rid of it. She yeah. ended up putting the two girls into foster care for a little bit. She gets custody back later, which is an interesting story, because what happens was she ends up getting back together with Craig for a little bit. The two of them regain custody of the girls, and her dad, Edwin, who she claimed had been sexually abusing her, actually comes back into the picture and starts helping out a lot with her daughters. Except one night, he stayed out a little too late for Celeste's liking, and he wasn't home to help with the girls, and as a result, Celeste called the police and started crying about the sexual abuse again. Yeah, so... <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Um, 
I know that you are not quick to d- be dismissive of no. people's, you know, claims of abuse or Absolutely rape or not. anything like that. But I was thinking, like, you know, I suppose when it's within a family, like, it can be, it's easier to hide, especially if everybody in the family just is like, keep silent about mm-hmm. it. Um, especially in past decades around that time mm-hmm. period and stuff. But if the man sexually abused and or raped you, why would you allow him to come and help with your children? Because he didn't. Yes. Well, Edwin, that's, that's my point. <laughs> Edwin, I know that. Yeah. Edwin actively claimed innocence so much that he went and took a lie detector test and passed it with flying colors. Wow. Yeah. No. it Because he didn't. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. So the girls were really young at this point and they are still alive and well today. And I don't want to rehash their abuse from their mother, but I will say that when they were young and when they were with their mom, their memories were mostly of being hungry. Mm-hmm. And many people would find the girls dirty and untaken care of. She was not a good mother, and the state eventually took them away again until she remarried to a man named Harold, and he was in the Air Force, and he helped her get the girls back again. Once they divorced, because he got, he got, you know, they deployed him someplace that she didn't want to go, so they ended up divorcing. She marries into a third marriage to a man named Jimmy Martinez. He's going to come back up later. Okay. Jimmy and Celeste decided that they were going to move to Austin when the custody battle for Christina and Jennifer came to a head with their biological father, Craig. Okay. I'm going to summarize their nasty custody battle because it got gross, but basically he won. She did not win custody. And she actually had Christina at the time that the custody battle was finished. So she was ordered by the court to send Christina back to Craig. Okay. Well, she had gotten into Christina's head so bad that she put her on one flight. She had to have a connecting flight. At the connecting flight, she did not board the plane. She got on another flight and flew back to her mom. Uh Uh-oh. So Craig did not want to force Christina to be with him if she didn't want. He was devastated. Jennifer was distraught because they were inseparable, but he didn't want to force her to be there. And he didn't want Jennifer to be caught in the middle, so he agreed to allow Christina to stay with her mother unless he decided otherwise or she said, I want to come kind of thing. And they, he and Christina, he and, I'm sorry, he and Jennifer sort of formed their own little family and their own unit. I mean, they were still in com- communication, obviously. They were yeah. really close sisters, but he, he allowed her to stay with his mom, with her mom. Okay. Which I'm sure he now would say that that is a mistake, but. Yeah. A little bit after that, Jimmy Martinez finally clues into the fact that Celeste is committing credit card fraud. And it isn't the first time she's committed a crime like this. She lit her car on fire in the desert for insurance claims at one point and also broke into a friend's home and robbed them and then tried to get them to pad the insurance claim. When they refused, she started saying that the husband, say it with me class, sexually assaulted her. And they said, you're not going to say that. And they pressed charges. They said, no, absolutely. You're not going to start slinging that around here. Nay, nay. But the judge in her hometown was too lenient. They ordered $20,000 fine that he 
knew wasn't ever going to be paid because at that point, Christina had moved to Austin. Not Christina. I'm sorry. Celeste had moved to Austin. And this is all stuff in his home in her hometown. Jimmy just finds out about all of this now. Wow. At the same time, he realizes that she's racked up a ton of debt on his credit cards. And he calls these credit card companies and says, hey, this wasn't me, but they're legally married. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. After some back and forth and some counseling, they divorced as well. She soon got a job waitressing at the Austin Country Club, which is where she met Stephen Beard. Steve Beard was a happily married man, a very rich and successful executive and a doting father. He made his money in TV production, creating a channel in Austin that would eventually be picked up by Fox. He was head over heels in love with his classy, beautiful, amazing, loving first wife, Elise. Elise and Stephen had several children, which they loved, of course, but more than anything, Stephen loved being their dad. He just loved being a father. Unfortunately, Elise got cancer and after a rough battle passed away in 1993. Hmm. He was absolutely devastated and did not make a good widower. You know, Elise had done all of their housework. She didn't work and he was building his, his empire. He didn't know how to take care of a house, and more importantly, he didn't know how to not be married. And I think this is pretty normal, unfortunately, for a lot of married men when their wife dies. Yeah, I think we've talked about that. Mm -hmm. that yeah, statistically speaking, they marry a lot faster than mm -hmm. widows do. For sure. He told his friend that he wasn't the type of man who couldn't be married. He said, I need to be married, and he needed to take care of somebody. I know a lot of people like this, so this kind of makes sense to me. Like the some people are just meant to take they they need to take care of somebody else. It's part of just their soul. He was grieving for his wife for quite a while, but he eventually started looking for a house manager, somebody who could help him run the day-to-day -day things, um, you know, that he just didn't know how to do or like how to schedule the maintenance or all that stuff that he just had never had to do before. And he was a regular at the country club restaurant, and so he had no problem hiring his waitress, a Celeste Martinez. Except for Celeste couldn't keep a house. She couldn't cook. She couldn't clean. <laughs> so she would secretly hire maids and send his laundry out. Eventually, somehow, they started dating, and he took her out to his friends or to social events. And if anybody thought it was weird, they didn't say anything to Steve about it, but they did think it was weird, <laughs> and they said stuff to oh each other gosh. about it. I think what really did Steve in with Celeste had nothing to do with Celeste, and I think it had everything to do with Christina. His own children were grown up, and he had really loved being a dad. He had worked really hard, and he had all of these, you know, things, but he had nobody to share them with, and having 13-year-old Christina in the house... He and her were close and they, you know, he was a great stepfather. So Celeste came with Christina, so they got married. Not without a fight from his adult kids, though. Yeah. They were obviously concerned about their relationship because of how much younger Celeste was. And they even talked with an attorney about getting a power of attorney for their dad. Now, Alicia, you were an estate planning paralegal. I work in elder law. Yeah. So, no, they couldn't, and this is what the attorney told them, he, they couldn't get a power of attorney because their dad still had capacity. 
Yes. His dad would have to give her, their dad would have to give that willingly. Yes. And the attorney said, like, it was like attorney that they, they used for everything. It was like their family attorney. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, look, your dad's a smart guy. Like, I'm sure he'll get a prenup. Like, it, he'll be fine. Only one of his children attended his wedding to Celeste. Some of them were unable to. One of them was in the military. But several of them chose not to go. They got married in the country club. So how big of, like, are we talking that Celeste is close in age to his kids? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm honestly not positive how old she was when they got married, um, but it was quite a big age gap. I mean, she had, oh, I can tell you, she had the kids, she had the twins at 17, 18. Yeah, And Christina was 13. So she was in her 30s. And he was... In his late sixties, probably early seventies, maybe. Ugh. Hold on, let's. I can tell you how old he. Let's see how old he was when he died. Just so everybody knows, I am an equal opportunity. <laughs> she ju- is judger when it comes to age differences. He, she definitely I'm is not a fan. I should have known how old he was when he died, but unfortunately, Stephen, his story kind of gets lost when we're talking about this because it's such a sensationalized case. And the rest of the details are so ludicrous. Um, he was 75 when he died. So he was in his, he was late 60s, early 70s. I was right. Because they weren't married for very long. He was probably in his early 70s when they got married. I'm just. Yeah. She doesn't, she doesn't do like age gaps way smaller than that. Like I, she gets frustrated with my celebrity crushes because she's like. Because he's, he's just, my age. He's, he's just Well, that. he's a few years younger than me. But Yeah. I I just I listen. <laughs> we all got our things. I love Henry Cavill. Everybody loves Henry. Everybody Cavill. loves Henry Cavill. But I get it. I mean, how do you not? The man is almost, like he's as close to perfect as possible. But I I, I mm-hmm. age gaps are weird. Age gaps for me are just no. And I it's not all age gaps. Like it can be a small, yeah. you know. Like my grandparents were 5 years apart in age. Like they're I I'm not that excessive, but yeah. Like no. If the person is old enough to be your parent, no thank you. Oh yeah, he was way old enough to be her parent. He had grown children of his own. So, yeah, it it was a bad age gap for sure. For sure. Not to mention he's worth like $12 million at the time that well, they got married. Of course. So yeah. that in and of itself is like a problem. Now, they did get a prenup, which was good. And the original prenup, the, the terms were reasonable. Original. Mm-hmm. You caught that? Term. <laughs> you caught that, did you? There's always an original. Yeah, there were several originals in this game. The original prenup says that he would retain their home and the lake house. And if they were together for more than three years, she would be entitled to a payout of $500,000. If she was with him until he passed away, she would get a million dollars. Now, I don't know that much about prenups. So I don't really have much to say about that. I didn't do too many of them, but we did a couple. No comment. Oh, really? No comment? <laughs> I, I just, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So mm. not not something, not an area of law that I work in often. But these, I mean, good for him for doing it. I will say the prenups and the trust situation in this case 
Sometimes I don't understand it, but it's a different state than we live in. So yeah. Maybe, and maybe There's you'll have insight. So we'll see what you say about it, too. Basically, pretty much right after they got married, uh, things took a turn pretty quick. Christina was living with them, obviously. She still was living there. Yeah. And she started seeing her mom crush up pills and mix them into Steve's food. When she said, well, what the heck are you doing? She said, oh, it's sleeping pills. She was blatantly obvious with her. Not obvious. Honest. She's, she was yeah. very honest. She said, yeah, they're sleeping pills. She says, I can't stand to be around him, and this will make sure that he goes to sleep, and then I can go out on my own. <laughs> yep. So you're not even trying to hide. Not even a little bit. Yeah. And sure enough, she did go out on her own. She was out partying, and his friends would see that as well, and they didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eventually, mm, she started replacing his vodka, and he drank martinis at night. He would mm-hmm. have normally two at dinner. She would replace his vodka with Everclear, which Everclear is like 190 yeah. proof alcohol. My God. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. But once again, Steve was in the way of what Celeste wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, I already have some guesses as to what her psychological <laughs> disorders yeah. would be, but uh, yeah, that's terrible. But uh, like, I'm actually, I started to ha- be like, I'm appalled. His friends wouldn't say anything, but at the same time, like, they already knew that he didn't want them to say anything because, like, he was uncomfortable with the age gap, and like, he didn't want his friends to say anything about the age gap, and they didn't want to draw attention to the the weirdness of the relationship. And I, I think some of his friends weren't truly thinking it was going to be a long term situation anyway. Hence the short terms of the prenup. So they all thought that yeah. he was just trying to get over Elise. Yeah, but I mean, if they saw her out, especially regularly, like partying or. You know, without him, I I would, I don't know. To me, that's not about the age difference. I mean, yes, we all know the age difference played a little bit of a part mm-hmm. because 70-year-old women probably aren't going to, you know, put their husbands to sleep with sleeping pills and then go out and party in general. But you don't know my life. Yeah, that's true. I don't. <laughs> I mean, more power to them. If you're 70 and out partying... Awesome, man. That's Bless good. you, because I don't have the energy for that. And I'm Just in don't my drug 40s. your husband. Um, but I don't think that would be that wouldn't. Yeah. Anyway, I think you get what I'm saying. I, yeah. That that doesn't necessarily have to be about the age difference. It's just about hey, you got this new wife, and that's great. But why is she going out all the time? Mm-hmm. We see her out all the time without you. I mean. And then if he if he said, well, it's because she's younger and she is more social and I want to stay at home, okay. Yeah. But say something. I don't know. Yeah. It, you know, I agree with you. If you're real friends. Yeah. That's what I didn't want to say, but I didn't say it. Yeah. I'll say it. <laughs> I don't care. Something slightly more worrisome or not more worrisome but also concerning was that their checking account was overdrawn obviously he was very concerned about that because he was giving her everything she could possibly need and it still wasn't enough and for some reason he just had a feeling in his gut to check his safety deposit box and sure enough 
Celeste had been there too. He had taken, she'd been taking his ex-wife's jewelry from the safety deposit box. And it was gone. Oh, no. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. This was like three months after they had gotten married. You done messed up, Celeste. He was distraught. He called the divorce attorney and kicked her out of the house. And he brought their prenup to their first meeting. He was not messing around. He was he was like, this was a mistake. That's when she told him about all of her debt in Arizona. That fraud debt, the $20,000 that she was ordered to pay, that came out. She told him about the trouble that she was in, that she couldn't get it paid down, and that she had taken Elise's jewelry and pawned it. She actually had the pawn slips with her. And said that it, she was using it to help get out of debt. He took her back and he paid off his debt. Or her debt. But she had still stolen from him. I don't understand. She had still stolen. And and, and where did the money go what, from the checking wait, account? I isn't don't that know. why she stole the jewelry was to pay off the debt? But now he's paying off the debt? Well, he went and bought the... Yeah, he went and got all the jewelry back from the pawn shops. He bought it out, paid off her debt. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So their marriage kind of stabilized a little bit after that mess, and she started moving into the next phase of her plan. She convinced Steve to sell their home and to get a new one. The old home was Elise and Steve's. They had decorated it painstakingly over the years. Elise, I mean... Celeste didn't really care that it was Elise's home, though. She let Steve think that she cared. But really, she knew that the new home would be marital property and that prenup or no prenup, it was half hers. Oh. So she convinced him to, like, sell the house and to start building their new dream house. They moved into the lake house in the meantime. She also convinced him to rewrite their prenup, which was now a post-nuptial agreement, for a little bit more money. When their new home was finished, well, I don't know if it was ever technically finished, but it was, but you know, it you know how new homes are. They redecorate yeah. and whatever. But anyway, around the time that like their home was being constructed and almost finished, her financial abuse of Steve got worse. She was frequently overdrawing their checking account, and he soon found out that she was forging his signature in order to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars decorating and furnishing the new home. He moved all of his financial paperwork to a P.O. box and kept a very harsh eye on her. Rather than give her unfettered access to their finances, he started giving her an allowance. She was given a $500,000 trust, and he set up a new trust for himself. His trustee was reinvesting all of his money to keep it moving, keep it making money. Mm -hmm. The rich stay rich. And he listed her as the beneficiary, um, not of the principal, but of the revenue generated by this trust. Okay. So as long as she was still his wife, she was entitled to the revenue of the trust, not the principal. Right. Okay. Basically... It was generating like $500,000 a year in, in today's money. I think it was $300,000 then. Today it would have been about $500,000 a year in, in wow. revenue. She blew through her $500,000 trust in six months. 
I how, how do you even spend half a half a million dollars in six months when you're not buying real estate or cars or I think she did buy some cars for her for the for the girls. I mean, you can do it. Oh, I've I no can do it. Somebody give me five hundred thousand dollars. Watch me do it. I've known some people that could definitely do it. I I could do it, but. I don't know that How do I you could. emotionally, like, do that? Yeah. I don't understand that. It's when you think that there's no end. Yeah. Yeah. She knew how much he had, and so she kept digging. Yeah. She eventually uh, uh, manipulated the postnuptial agreement again so that she would get both the homes, the lake house and the mansion, entire in their entirety. His trust, if he died, his trust would pay off the mortgage. She would get both homes free and clear. And she would get his IRAs. I just don't. I don't. I, mm. All the while, she is talking so much crap about him behind his back to people and to her kids. And to her kids' friends. Like, every... To her kids? Yeah. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But, like, she did not like Steven. Which is insane. Because for all accounts, she should have. She just She didn't because... She decided she didn't, I think, you know? Well, because she was just using him. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So. It, it's insane to me. This whole situation, like, she had everything she could ever need. And she was not happy with any of it. Well, like I said, I have a few theories on <laughs> her mental health disorders. Does it rhyme with schmarschmuschmissig? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Narcissistic. Well, yes, but no, I mean, there's a couple others. That... Yeah. So, unfortunately, Craig, the twin's father, died by suicide in 1996. Mm -hmm. He'd struggled with it for a long time. He had attempted multiple times. And um, so it was very sad. And Jennifer was really distraught, but she... She moved in full-time with Stephen and Celeste and Christina in Austin. And her and Stephen were like two peas in a pod. They were really close. They were closer than he was with Christina. Jennifer and Stephen were, I mean, she loved her stepfather. Yeah. And they were a good little family. The, the twins actually settled in for the first time in their entire lives because this was the first time that they weren't both having to you know parent their parents they weren't having to be the caretakers of their parents because steven was allowing them to be kids yeah um they actually made friends at school which they were unable to do prior and um you know they had stability Jennifer yeah. actually had a boyfriend and they had a small group of friends that were constantly at the mansion hanging out. Everyone, including their friends and boyfriends, were painfully aware that Celeste was having an affair with her ex-husband, Jimmy Martinez. She would put the pills in his drinks and in his food in front of people, in front of their friends, talk bad about Steven and switch out his vodka for Everclear in, a, in a, you know, an attempt to get him to die faster. They were obviously upset by that. <laughs> like, that's insane. If you see something, say something. Mm -hmm. Now, 
The twins were formally adopted by Stephen a few weeks before they turned 18, and he threw them a massive birthday party at the country club. The very next day, Celeste threw them another party with all of Steve's money, but didn't tell him. She openly invited all of their mutual friends and was with Jimmy Martinez at the event the entire time. Steve found out when his account was overdrawn the next day and the bills started coming in. She was spending so much money. Like, over the last few months, she had spent $300,000 money. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Between this and finding out about the affair with Jimmy, he filed for divorce again. Yeah. This time when he filed, though, Celeste, in front of her daughter Christina, threatened to kill herself. She was taken to St. David's, a psychiatric hospital for inpatient care. Okay. While she was in St. David's, she meets a woman named Tracy Tarleton. Now, Tracy was, I believe, the owner of a bookstore, and she was hospitalized for her very serious and very real mental health condition, which was likely bipolar. Her diagnosis at the time, I'm pretty, it was very vague, but I think like later in life and then definitely these days, she would have been diagnosed with bipolar. And I think she was eventually like officially diagnosed with bipolar. Okay. So she was struggling with that. And she had, she knew she was struggling with her mental health. She was hospital in and out of mental health institutions most of, you know, several times during her adult life. Yeah. Um, And... Celeste was also struggling with what I believe to be narcissistic personality disorder. She was very aware that Tracy was vulnerable and that she was very moldable. So then the lies start coming out. She told Tracy that Steve was abusive to her and to his dog, which, side note, what a horrendous accusation to say that he beat his dog. He loved this dog. So his ex-wife, Elise, his deceased wife. Yeah had gotten him a lab mix dog named Megan. He loved Megan. Megan slept with him in the bed. Like, she, he, that was his dog. Quit saying he beats his dog. He does not. I'd be very offended by that. I don't know what to say. I this know. Is, this is... It's, a, it's an interesting one. Hmm. She told Tracy that he would not let her leave the marriage, financially and emotionally, that he controlled her. Clearly, he doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, clearly not. Celeste told Tracy that the reason she married Steve in the first place was to maintain custody of her daughters. She wanted a guest to get full custody back from Craig, and that's why she said she married him. But now she felt trapped in the marriage, obviously, and she was being abused, she said. When Tracy later testified, she said her portrayal of what was going on was that she felt trapped by this man who was slowly killing her, slowly or quickly killing her, and that she couldn't get out from underneath him psychologically or emotionally, end quote. Tracy said she believed everything that Celeste told her. She felt like this was just a, a rich older man who just took what he wanted and was horrible like she had a picture of him that was just not true because that's what celeste wanted her to believe yeah all the while she's having um the twins bring her breakfast and lunch every day and steve was bringing her dinner every night because the food in this hospital was just not good enough for her (laughs) he's abusive but he brings her steak dinners unnecessary dinners and is paying for this out of pocket 
He's a monster. He's horrible. He adopted my daughters and gave them the world. They have Cadillacs. <laughs> I think she actually bought them the cars. He didn't buy them the cars, but I mean, it was his money. But anyway, yeah. there's some back and forth, but I'm going to summarize because it's just, you know, it's not important. But yeah. by, by design, Celeste and Tracy both end up in the same long-term care facility. Basically, Celeste found out where, she, where Tracy was going and she said, get me there. And she went there. And okay. at this place, they were roommates. And this is where their relationship went from, like, flirty to physical. Tracy was a lesbian. And Celeste was manipulative. Yes. She didn't care. She wanted right. what she wanted. She would do what she needed to do to get there. She was taking advantage of Tracy. Yeah. The two were intimate at this long-term care facility until a worker walked in on the two of them being a little too close for comfort and made them switch rooms. They started getting day passes or being released or doing outpatient work or, you know, and they continued to spend a lot of time together no matter where they were in their healing process. They would get motels or Celeste would have Christina or Jennifer drive her to Tracy's house to spend the night or, you know, all sorts of things. They were still together. And Tracy believes that Stephen is a horrible person who beats his wife and his dog. And so when Celeste starts talking about drugging him, she isn't super shocked by that. I mean, she's an appropriate amount of shocked, but you know what I mean? She was like, oh, I see. You're getting out of this, you know, abusive, yeah. loveless marriage. Eventually, Celeste began to convince Tracy that Steve needed to die. Mm, boy. And that's where we're going to end part one. Okay. Part two will commence. Steve dies. I'm I mean, assuming. We'll see. He may, he may not. Okay. <laughs> he does. <laughs> but um, but yeah. you'll find out next week. Or, yeah. You'll find out well, next Well, it'll be Monday. You'll find out yeah. on part two. We don't, yeah. Typically, we, we do our part twos, like, just a few days after, so. Anyway, we'll see you Monday. Talk yeah. to you then to give you the conclusion of this insane case. This is, yeah, this one's got me almost speechless. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, till next time. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Of course. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.